they swelled and the room was filled with duvet. Well, this, um, this chapter today is a bit like that. It doesn't look much on paper, but when you pull the plug out, it expands and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So, Romans 8, starting at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we eagerly wait for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who can bring charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then 
is the one who condemns. No one. Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, and we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor present, nor future, nor power, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen, and thank you, Gary, for that wonderful reading. Let's pray. Father God, we do give thanks for your word, and we give thanks for your goodness. And we pray now that you would fill us with your spirit. Help us to hear the things you want us to hear. Open my lips to proclaim your word, and help us to forget the things that are not of you. In the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. It's summertime, and summer is a funny time for all of us. And if you've got a young family especially, summer is this weird time of balancing, I guess, work and family, and pretty much everything else there is in between. And, well, the summer holidays have definitely arrived, and so in this week just gone by, we had a few days at home. And what I mean by that is we went back home to South Wales. Don't get me wrong, we love ABBA. ABBA is our home. We have a, you know, our home quite literally is here. But sometimes you need to escape to somewhere else. And for us, home will always be that glamorous place that is Merthyr Tidville, the place where I grew up. And my own fortress of solitude to take on the Superman thing will always be my parents' house. And I'm very blessed, and I know that very well, because my parents are both still alive, they're both in really good health, and they are always welcoming whenever myself, the family, want to go and spend a few days. And it is always a blessing to go there. And I know I'm doubly blessed, because when I go back, I have the opportunity, and I take that opportunity to regress to being a teenager. And what I mean by that is, I will quite happily sit and do nothing, while my mam, who's a full-on valley mam, runs around and does everything. Cooks, cleans, does everything. And I know it's wrong, but yeah, he knows it. <laughs> but I allow it to happen. I will get into petty arguments with my dad over the remote control and end up hiding it from him as he does to me. We do all of those things. And I find myself thinking sometimes, my goodness, have I just turned right back into being a bit of a teenager? Yes, I'm still a dad. I have to accept the example to my sons and all the rest of it. But you've still got that edge going there. 
And it's weird, isn't it? When you go back to a situation where you've been before, how you can feel that way. Sometimes sights, smells, sounds even can take you back to a place where you've been. And memories even become incredibly vivid. And for those few days as we were driving through Merthyr, going to Cardiff, coming up to the A470, I was just flooded by a whole range of memories and taken back 20, 30, 10 years, whatever it was. All those memories parked in the back of my head becoming vivid once again. One of the things I think really struck me going on this trip down memory lane is how when I was a young man, as a teenager, and even in my 20s, everything was almost black and white. You know, when it came to music, everything was black and white. When I was 16, there was a battle between Blue and Oasis, and you were one or the other. You couldn't appreciate the musical value in both. Everything was black and white. And that went for everything you can think of. It went for films, it went for TV, it went for comic books. Everything was black and white. And it went for spirituality as well. I'd read through the Bible and I could see the black and white in it all. When I was a teenager, I was against women being in leadership because I'd read one bit of the Bible that seemed to suggest that. But here I am today, married to a vicar who could easily be the Archbishop of Canterbury who I would be proud to serve under. You could say that I've been on a bit of a journey. And I think for all of us, that happens as life goes on. Whether it's spiritually, whether it's politically, whether it's something else, we are all on a journey. And as time changes, things perhaps stop being black and white as they once were before. I remember being in theological college and hearing this experienced pastor speaking to us who were training to be vicars, saying, you know what? The one thing I've learned is the more you know, the less you know. And me thinking, no way, man, I'm not going to sell up like you. I know what's right and what's wrong. But here I am today with all these issues that you deal with on a daily basis and thinking, well, where is the shades of grey? And where are the shades of light? Thinking about superheroes for a moment again. One thing that whole genre teaches you is the very good have flaws and the very bad aren't all bad. There is always some good in them all. We are all on a journey. And that journey is infected by so many factors. It's affected by the people who we are around, the different opinions you hear, the different cultures we get exposed to. It's affected by what we do for a living. It's affected by changes in circumstances. And it's affected in no small part as well by our own individual suffering. The suffering that we go through, which naturally comes as we grow, when we get older and we experience life. And also, on top of that, the suffering that we experience through the eyes of other people. You know, I start by saying that I used to be against the ordination of women. Having seen the negativity that Liz still gets being a woman and seeing her suffering affects my heart that great bit more to break for her and to see things happen. So I've got more passion because of that. As I say, 
We are all on a journey and we all experience shades of color and black and white. And we can't think that this is a very modern phenomenon. Sociologists tell us that we live in a postmodern world and the journey that we are on is very much part of our identity. Which actually, these things have always been about. And we see them here in our reading today. Because our reading was taken from the book of Romans, written somewhere around the 58 AD marker. And the church was established in Rome at this time. And Paul was writing to this church. And they themselves had been on a journey. To start off with, they had come together as a mix of Jews and Gentiles. Those who were Jewish and not Jewish. And that led to a bit of a mess in working out what they believed and why. Somehow they had to fuse together all their thoughts. And that was a journey themselves. They'd been through a time of suffering. The Jewish quartet had been exiled from Rome just a few years before by Emperor Claudius. Now Nero was emperor, allowing them back. Before, and it was about to happen, they were to be persecuted. The air of persecution held heavy in the air. So you've got these people who have come to know Christ and had the joy through it, but it's done them no good. They are suffering, they are struggling, they are going through a bad time, and they're going through a journey of learning everything. And Paul is acutely aware that they are on this journey and really engages with one of the big questions, which is the theme for today. Really, how can we know that God is good? How can we know that God is still for us? How can we know in the midst of everything else that's happening, God is still good? If the good aren't all good and the bad, there's still some good, how can we know that God ultimately is good? And in some ways, this is a question for the ages. How many of us honestly haven't put on the news and seen some terrible things happen and say, where is God in all of this? Seen appalling suffering happen across the world, happen in our own communities and question, where is God in all of this? Or if we're established Christians, have somebody say to us, how can you believe in a God who allows this sort of thing to happen? How can we turn and look at God and say, yes, God is good in the midst of all this despair. These are things that have been around forever and will continue to be around long after we are in glory in heaven. The question for us, and maybe it's something we are struggling ourselves with today, is how can we really trust that God is good, that he is who he says he is, that he's not a pretender, that he's not fake, that we really can trust in him. Well, in a roundabout way, and in a very confusing reading as it is, quite basically, Paul asks us to look at the nature of God himself. And in this reading, he looks really at the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and implores us to look at him and his nature to see that he is good. Or perhaps maybe to give him the alternative name, creator, redeemer, and sanctifier. 
Because he talks off, starts off by talking about creation, and creation comes in at the end as well. One of the most basic ways that we can know that God is good is to look at creation, to look at the glory of creation, to look at the world as it is made and enjoy and wonder and take awe in the one who created it all. You know, we live, for those who live here, in this amazing part of the world. And for those who are visiting, you'll see it yourself. Creation is stunning here. And whether you're looking at a sunset round about that evening time over there, or you're going into the countryside, you can see how wonderful it is. What happens out there is more glorious than any skyscraper or building that a human can make. Creation is awe-inspiring. Creation brings about a certain quality. And throughout the ages, people have looked to creation to see the goodness of God. One of my favorite psalms in the Old Testament is Psalm 121. And I always used to read it at a burial of a funeral because those words say, look at the hills and see how strong that God is. Look at the mountains, look at the hills. And where we used to live in South Wales, certainly, and it's actually true here as well, you physically would be outside, surrounded by these hills and mountains, and as people are in grief, in distress, wondering what the meaning of life is at all, you could look around us and say, this is the God who created this, and this is the God who loves us. And this is the God who is with us in this suffering now. And this is the God who loved the one who we have lost. Look at the mountains and see. But that isn't an implore to look at the mountains and see just how lovely they are. It is an implore to look at the mountains and see how strong the one who created it is. How strong the one who creates such a wonderful, fabulous, amazing world, an incredible universe, the one who flung stars into space is, the one who created it all. How amazing he is, how good he is, and how we can trust in him. You don't have to believe in the Lord to admire creation. And you don't have to believe in the Lord to come and get the fruits of creation and feel a stir in your soul because of creation. But when you know the Lord, those things can feel even greater. You know, the word holiday is derived from holy day. People used to go on holy days, pilgrimages, spend time outside to draw close to God. And sometimes when we spend time outside marveling at creation, we can draw close to God and remember his goodness. However, that can only take you so far. And Paul really acknowledges that in the reading here today. Because as wonderful creation is, is, it is just an echo of what God actually created. And the world itself is dying. And we know this because we see it happening. We see it happen through climate change. We see it happen through extreme weather. We see what human beings do to bring destruction upon the world. And the world is dying for one very simple reason. And that simple reason is sin. 
The world is dying because of human action and sin. And that has been about since Adam and Eve did what they did all the way back in Eden. The world has been dying ever since. And as wonderful as it is now, we also know that it's not perfect. What we need then is a redeemer. What we need then is Jesus. And as we look to creation, so we also look to Jesus and hold on to those words, those amazing words, God so loved the world that he gave his only son and whoever believes in him shall not die but receive eternal life. Because as the world was created and destruction started to come because of our sin, God always had a plan to put it right. And that plan involved his son, Jesus Christ. And his son, Jesus Christ, going to the cross to save us from it all, to save us from our sin and to bring about restoration to all of creation. God knew what the world needed and he knew that it didn't need another king. It didn't need a politician. It didn't need a vicar. It didn't need an economist. It needed a saviour. And while all those other things are worthy and good, and you can see them echoed in Jesus, the world needed a saviour. And that's where Jesus stepped in to be the saviour of all, the redeemer, to bring redemption to us and salvation to the whole world. And in this reading, Paul, at the end, is really imploring the Romans in their suffering, in their distress, in their pain, to cling on to Christ and what he has done for them. Because here's the thing with following Jesus. It doesn't guarantee you a good life. It doesn't guarantee that you won't suffer. It doesn't guarantee that you won't go through dark times. Being a follower of Christ doesn't make your life perfect. Being a follower of Christ won't make you rich. Being a follower of Christ won't guarantee you're always in good health. Being a follower of Christ won't mean that your family won't go through suffering and pain. Being a follower of Christ, though, will mean that redemption will come. And we can cling on to the promise that one day all things will be made new. Creation will be renewed. Christ will return, put everything right. We can cling on to the promise that God will do all of these things. Suffering will always be part of the fallen world, but in the new creation, it will be gone. That is the hope that we are called to cling on to. And that is the hope that comes through Christ alone. And you know, it's always worth remembering some of the most basics of our faith and remembering even some of the words of things like the Alpha Course. We know that Jesus was a person. We know that he was a historic figure. And sometimes we can look for the dubious things in Christ himself. Look where his lack of goodness is. Look for the problems there were. Look how to criticize him. But who else would go and do what he did? As I say, he was either wrong or a madman, or he truly was who he said he was. He was the Messiah, willing to go to the cross. And those who came afterwards were willing as well to keep the conspiracy going. 
suffering as they suffered. Christ was who he says he was, and he brought redemption to the world. He brings redemption to the world. And that's a basic of the Christian faith. But the thing with basics is, they are the things that we forget first. And even though that is at the core of Christianity and what we believe, it's something we so easily forget in our day-to-day lives. It's something that we do, perhaps even because we take for granted, parked to one side. We forget very easily that Christ is who he says he is. And when times of suffering especially come, that is when we really can doubt and wonder and question all the more. Turn our eyes from Christ and look at other things. And that's why we need the sanctifier. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Because God knows that we forget these things. God knows that we forget that he created all things. God knows that we can forget that he sent his son. But he sent a helper to come and help us. A helper to help us in our faith. It's an amazing thing reading through this passage this week. Because in this passage, once again, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a helper. And the word help that is used to describe the Spirit it's the same one that took place in the story of Jesus, Mary and Martha, where Mary or Martha, I forget which one, was pleading with her sister for help to look after the household duties. And she was pleading for help for a very good reason. Everything was a mess. She really needed help. She was having a stress out. She was having a freak out. She was absolutely going through a nightmare. She needed help. And that's why she was pleading with her sister to help. We need that same help as well. We need that same help on our spiritual journey. We need that help, especially in times of suffering and pain and anguish. And that's where God's spirit comes in to help us in all of the pain, to help us when we need it, to help us in our times of trial and to help us as we work out our own path on this individual journey. We need to be constantly filled with God's Spirit. We need to constantly come before the Lord and say, Lord, give me the help that I need. Give me the help for today and the help for tomorrow. We need to feel God in us to help us along our way. God, the helper, with the Spirit himself giving us the foretaste of the new creation, giving us the foretaste of what the world will look like when it's fully redeemed, when Christ calls us home or comes and returns, showing us the gifts of the Spirit at work, enabling us to live by the fruit of the Spirit and reminding us in times of trial of how good he is. One of the most amazing things I've learned being a vicar is some of the most spiritual places, some of the most spirit-filled places aren't churches as much as they are places where suffering is at its highest. 
The sense of God's Spirit you can sometimes feel in a hospital or a funeral director's or a place where suffering happens is amazing. The places where people struggle and they've got nothing else to turn to. Money will only take them so far. Status will only take them so far. There's nothing else but only God. God's Spirit at work. When all hope is gone and all is left is God, He is the one through whom all hope comes. And that's the hope that we absolutely cling on to today. The hope of God. And that is the hope that we lean on to remind ourselves of how good God is. We cling on to that hope and we remember the goodness of God. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Creator, Redeemer, Sanctifier. God working together to pour out His good purpose for all of this. And with that hope in the background, we're reminded that whatever comes our way, whatever suffering, whatever stress, whatever pain, God still works all things for his good. God still works all things to his glory. God uses the suffering that we've been through, and by the end of it, he sees amazing things. You know, last week, Hayes came and spoke a bit about what they've been through to now and really how God had worked the good purposes in their hearts. The week before, my J-Dog, he did the same, talking about the suffering and the good purposes that God has worked out in his life. And we've got our own stories to tell as well, stories of what God has done for us. And these are the stories we need to talk about. These are the stories that we need to remember. When we tr struggle which we all will cling on to the glory of God. He is working good things for us. We're all on this journey and we're all at different stages of this journey. We might not all believe specifically the same thing. We might have different views on certain biblical themes. We might have different views on theology we might start discussing things and turn out we don't really agree on much, but we can agree on that one thing, the essential thing, and the thing that makes up 99% of our faith, and that is God is good. We can trust him. Let us trust him. And may the Lord continue to bless us as we go on this journey. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we do give thanks that you are good. We give thanks that you are a good Father. We give thanks that you love us beyond anything we will ever know. And we give thanks that we can trust in you. We give thanks for your good creation which you are making new. We give thanks for sending us your Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us. And we give thanks that you send your spirit to sustain us. And Lord, as we come before you remembering you are good, we pray today that we would cling on to your goodness. And we pray for those who are especially struggling. And we pray, Lord, for those who are struggling in the world. We pray for the ongoing situation in Ukraine. 
We pray for the pain that's happening there. We pray for how the after effects of COVID are still affecting parts of the world in ways in which perhaps we've forgotten. We pray for our other conflicts that are happening throughout the world and all the countries where pain is being felt. We pray for our own nation, the cost of living crisis, the energy crisis, and the struggles that are happening there. We pray for ourselves and our own lives where we are struggling. And we pray that in all our struggles, we would truly cling on to how good you are. And we pray now that you would fill us with your spirit. Where perhaps maybe today we are struggling, where we are questioning, where we are doubting, where we feel like we were on a journey, we just want to get off at the stop. You would remind us of your goodness. Draw close to us this day, we pray. Fill us with your spirit and remind us in that most basic way, in the faith of a child, that you are good. Remind us of your awesomeness. Remind us of your love. Remind us of your power. In the name of Jesus, your son, we pray. Amen.